are you guys going to do like a doo-wop chorus? I feel like with you all sharing the same microphone, we need That's some sick vocal harmony. I wouldn't mind starting a JS Jabber acapella group. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Don't panic, they'll be paid for most of us. Hey everybody and welcome to JavaScript Jabber episode 68. I am your guest host, Jameson Dance. Chuck is at Lone Star RubyConf this week. We have Merrick Christensen. What's up? We have Joe Eames. Hey there. And we have an incredibly special guest, Aaron Frost. Hello. <laughs> and he is not British. Coming from across the pond. Once, once you're gone, I'm going to start using that as my greeting. Well, I wish my name was like that one guy, the launch. Reginald Braithwaite. <laughs> <laughs> like, your name's even British, not yeah. just your accent. No. Oh, I would have my name be better to Cumberbatch. That's pretty That's British a very British name. name. Yeah. Wellington something. <laughs> <laughs> then you would be the Archduke of JavaScript. Yeah. Uh, oh, that would be an awesome title. Be, a good title. <laughs> so, James, you want to talk about why we have Aaron on the show? Yeah, I was going to ask him to introduce himself. Oh, great. So, uh, I'm a web developer at an awesome company called Domo. But what's your official title? Uh, officially, I don't know. What are you playing at? Um, <laughs> maybe an open web strategist. <laughs> there you go. A there social you. media expert? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I work on our UI team, and we're getting ready to push out a really awesome release that everyone's going to love. Um, I'm also an author. I've, I published a short book with O'Reilly and May and... Uh, working on another book. They're both about the next version of JavaScript, um, JavaScript and 6. So that is what we are here to talk about today, right? We're going to talk about ES6 and why we should be super excited. Uh, do you want to just go over the, the terminology? Maybe some people don't know what ECMAScript even means or what what 6 is. Yeah. 6 is a number. Not, not just that, like... Harmony, all the code names, JS Next. Yeah. TC39, oh man. Yeah. Buzzwords. Yeah, um, we should, someone should be writing these down because we can talk about all of them. So, okay. start off, how is JavaScript and ECMAScript related? So, when, when Brendan first built JavaScript, effectively, it was called LiveScript. And by the time it was done with beta, Sun had gotten involved and they renamed it to JavaScript, right? And they tried for a really long time to make progress, and they did make some progress, and they eventually had some falling outs, and if, there's some videos online where you can watch Brennan and Ike talk about it. Brennan and, sorry, Douglas Crawford, and one of them compares it to the, the, the Fellowship of the Rings where they just kind of fell apart, and the other one compares it to the, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And So they just kind of fell apart, and, and, and they needed some help. So what happened in the, in the past was... They got this international standard body called ECMA to adopt kind of the API of what was then JavaScript. And that API became like the official in, uh, script API of ECMA. So ECMAScript is like this, really this uh, API and, and this language uh, API. And then there's different implementations of it. So like implementations some of us have heard of is like JavaScript is one, VBScript would be one. 
Some companies have implemented their own flavor of something like JScript, which is like JavaScript, but it's... ActionScript. ActionScript, yep. So these, and you guys probably know more, but these are all implementations of the ECMAScript API. So JavaScript is an implementation of ECMAScript. So when the ECMAScript version gets updated, when they update that API, all the implementations now get to go update and, you know, try and work together. So, you know, Microsoft's implementation tries to get to play well with Firefox's and Chrome, so, yeah. So ECMAScript is the canonical one, and the thing everyone calls JavaScript is is really just the implementation of this standard, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. So um, kind of sounds like the adoption by a standards body, that that was almost, I don't know if it was a, at the time that they realized how wise it was, but I assume that the adoption of JavaScript across the browsers had a lot to do with the fact that it was a real standard rather than just one body saying, hey, we've got this thing. Yeah, so I, I listened to a talk by Brendan, and it sounds like at first ECMA didn't get too involved. And so even though it was officially adopted as their script language, like they, they didn't seem to participate a lot. And he said later on, finally, they started, they got a solid group of people together that they could finally talk and start making agreements. And when that happened, he said ECMA even started coming to the meetings, which he thought was significant. And so uh, I, I think it, it took them a while to get, like, really involved. But, but yeah, the, the more that... That uh, the need to have browsers do the distributed computing arise, ECMA got more involved. So, so do you know who who is ECMA? I don't know who ECMA is. Are there shadowy conspiracy theories about ECMA? Are they part of the triumvirate yeah, that they, runs the world's governments or something? Boys just smoking cigars and running the whole web operation. They started in the in the Temple of Solomon, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. No, but so the the uh, ECMA script or the ECMA committee, they've commissioned a group of people, and they they form these committees and they call them technical committees, and the technical committee number thirty nine, which is what we hear is called the TC thirty nine, those are the group group of people that are significant that go to the monthly and quarterly meetings to talk about the progress in the language. So the TC39 is a committee put together by ECMA. Sweet. It's pay to play, right? Join TC39, you gotta pay. I have no idea. Got it. Uh, well, let's talk about JavaScript. Like, right. what, what's up with ES6? Okay, so I you guys asked a question though, what's the difference between like ES6 and JS.next and Oh yeah, harmony. What are those things? Yeah. And when I started reading about it, I was I just called everything harmony because that's what I thought it was. But harmony, harmony's one thing is a bigger thing than just um, ES6. Oh really? Yeah. And ES. Next is different than ES6 too. So the when the committee's working on the next API, the next spec. That's what they call the whatever the next one is is called ES next or JS next. Oh. So that happens to be six right yeah, now. Yeah, right now that's ES six. Right? So when JavaScript six is out, ECMAScript next is still a thing, but it's point it's a pointer to the ES seven. So in the past seven. they've referred to other versions as ES. They've always referred to it, or is this something they just started? I don't know if ES next was what they called five. It might be a new thing because back before five there was like a lot of disaccord 
But now they, they agree on a lot more things, and they're able to make more progress. So I always thought it was just like marketing terms. Yes, next. Like Microsoft came up with the name or something. I don't think so. So, so what is Harmony then? So back when they started to disagree, there was a really big release that everyone wanted to agree on it, and that was kind of where the falling out happened. And it took they stagnated for years. And some people this took was, it. This is ES4, right? Yeah, this is on the ES4. So ES4. They tried to do it and it just never came out because they could never agree. Exactly. So some people tried to make like a sub-release of that and call it ES3.1 or ES3.2, I can't remember. And no one could agree on which way they were going to go. After years, they, they finally they would release a smaller set. And there's, in August of, jeez, uh, I'm going to say year, I want to say 2011, maybe it was 2009. Um, I've got it right here, but I sent out an email and said, hey, you know, we've started to make a bunch of progress. We've deemed next release, we're going to call ECMAScript 5, and then all other features forever, whenever we come up with a feature we want to put into the language, we're going to dump it into this big overall bucket called Harmony, and um, they revved the version of, of ECMAScript 3.1. They revved it up to 5 because they're like, hey, we don't want it to be just a Dot one release, you know, because we've made a lot of progress in our committee here, and, and we've come a long way. So we're gonna rev the version of the five because just to show that we made some progress, and then everything else get, got dumped into Harmony. And so as they release new versions, they're picking the prospects for the new language for the new versions all come out of the big Harmony bucket. Mm. So every so the the scope for ES6 is almost entirely finalized as far as what will be in. They've already started putting new features into the ECMAScript 7 bucket. Cool. So, yeah. So, do you want to talk about some of the things that are in ES6? Yeah. What can yeah. we expect from, from the next version of JavaScript? Or yeah. ECMAScript, so, I guess. So, there's there's a lot of things. There's And a lot of these things come from other languages. We, we can talk about it in a second. But So, they got things like arrow functions. Some people call those lambdas. Mm -hmm. They've got a new type of lexical scoping with things like let instead of var. They've got a cool, one of my favorite features is destructuring. I also like when you couple that with default values. And I think that we're going to save a lot of code. You couple so those with... like CoffeeScript, where you can just pluck properties out of an object? Yeah. So you can pluck them out on the left of the assignment expression, right? Instead okay. of on the right. Yeah. Yeah. And you can actually destructure straight in your function uh, signature, which is kind of nice. So they've got, it's called spreading, where you can spread out an array just by prefacing it with a dot, dot, dot. And you could even do, like, let's say you call a function that returns an array. You could do dot, 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 function call, and that would spread out the array from the returns for the function call. So yeah, there's the, And that's kind of a weird-looking syntax, dot, 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 method call. Right. It looks like a weird object name, yeah, right? Anyway, uh, they got proper tail calls, which is, I think, significant for performance reasons. They've got sets and maps, official sets and maps, and they even have they even implemented something called weak maps to help prevent memory leaks. They've got e equivalent detection to test equality. It's called egal, which is French for equal. Really. So, like checking object equality. Yeah. So, like instead of saying equals equals equals, you can say is or is not. 
Okay. There's a new syntax on it for is and is not. Huh, sure. I don't want to add to that, but that got in there. They have new things for generators, like generators and iterators, which will help us write our own type of for loops. So they have it's it's like string interpolation, and they allow you to do kind of templates. Um, they have binary data. They have some API improvements. So are they still doing binary data, or are they pulling that out? Because I. Did you read that they were pulling it out? I, I don't know. It seems like there's some speculation about that. I haven't, I haven't heard anything about them pulling okay, it out. Well, maybe, maybe they are. I heard it was in, but it might be out. Yeah. So so you want to, I guess, divulge, I guess, from the top, why are fat arrows useful? I mean, obviously, they're in KyoScript. They, yeah. they, they do the binding of this, but what, I mean. So kind of starting from that first feature, the arrow functions. So in JavaScript, we all know that um, this, finding out what this is, is really fun, right? Yeah, because this my change, favorite thing. This this can change, and sometimes what you think this is isn't this, right? This is really something else. If you pass, <laughs> if you pass a callback, talk about what's that? It's hard to talk about on the on on air, but it's easier when you have like a whiteboard. But if you pass like a callback in, and it had a reference to this, well, when you pass it into another object, the this mention is going to be pointing to that object. Sure. Is. So anyway, you, 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 it's easy to, to, to mess up this, especially in those kind of callback situations with, with traditional functions. But with arrow functions, you kind of get, uh, you get it, it forces the scope so that with the time when the function is created, whatever this was at that time, it, it's bound to that this. So, so it's like creating it and then using the bind function. It's like using bind, yeah, exactly, or saying var me equals this and then right, saying me not var this. Yeah, so... It's it's kind of a, a replacement for binding everything or aliasing this to something else. So. Sure. So yeah, so, so that's kind of the benefits of arrow functions. I think they have some weird syntax though that people will complain about, but I think it'll be okay. People will probably complain about anything they do. It's so someone's gonna hate any of it. So you just listed kind of a grab bag of stuff there. You sounded like a used car salesman, like you got your carburetor and your camshaft, and like there's all this stuff in it. Is yeah. there any? Are there any more important parts you think are going to be huge deals to general developers? Yeah, we could just kind of go through one at a time if you guys want to. Yeah. We could just talk about sure. Maybe just talk about the things you think are most yeah. most <laughs> the coolest. So at the there. top of our functions, um, we spend a lot of our time doing something that I call. Data proofing our functions. Like um, we like we spend the first few lines like destructuring the classes. So if they give us an array, we pull out index one and two, and we do something with that. Or if they give us an object, we pull out its ID and store that off. And then we got to make sure that's not that's not undefined. Otherwise, you know, the internals of the function are going to break. So we spend a lot of our time doing something that I call data proofing our functions and. And a lot of the syntax, the sugar that they give us inside this new release, I think help us with that. So like destructuring, that make it really easy. Instead of spending like three lines to pull three variables out of an object, you can just do it all on one line. Like the, the syntax for destructuring, like so let's say you had an object, an object with an ID and a name and an address. Instead of saying var name equals object.name, var address equals object.address, and var ID equals object.id, you could just say var, and then you do a brackets, and you say id, comma name, comma address, close your brackets and say equals the object. And then what happens if it does find, and what if it is undefined? So the destructuring, then that's a great question. So the destructuring has, um, uh, they have a refutable pattern, which you can argue with. So 
the, the, the pattern I just told you, like var. Sure, the, the, the standard destructuring, like you see in CoffeeScript. So that's irrefutable. If you do braces, name, comma, ID, comma, address, those three things better be there or you're going to get an error. You get an exception. You get, I don't know if it's a, if it's a, what kind of an exception is it a reference or if it's a, something undefined. I don't know what it's going to be. But you're going to get an error of some sorts, right? But if you preference, like, let's say you're not sure if the address is going to be there, use a question mark address. And when it's trying to destructure that object and find its address, if that's undefined, it'll be more forgiving, like kind of like what we're used to with JavaScript. It'll say, okay, I'm going to give you an undefined for that value. I'm not going to throw an error. So, so in that case, could you do paths in your destructuring? Paths? So like nested? Yes. Yeah, you can nested destructuring. You can even be, you can give it a refutable reference to downside and inside of those paths as well too. And you, you could even alias it. Like let's say they've got like some weird key value name, right? Like you could, you know, say name equals whatever the weird key was. Like if the key oh, was cool. like underscore H, you could say name equals underscore H, and it will destructure the underscore H into the name variable. Got it. So you can even do like alias things like that. But so you use they're called destructuring patterns, and in your patterns you have to make sure that you're using that refutable syntax if you think that there might ever be undefines coming through. Got it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Otherwise you're gonna get errors. So that's that's that'll be some of the fun we get to play around with, you know. In in some of the browsers have already implemented this. Like Firefox has already been implemented this. So if you pull up their what's that word that web DevTown? Dev they have like some yeah, it's like a web preview thing. Yeah, they've got this. I I, oh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but like anyway, scratch pad it's like a scratch pad type thing. You can write it in there and execute it in in Firefox. Oh. So huh. you can already start to dork around with these things. But so yeah. it's essentially a DSL that tells you how to map. Object values into exactly. or potentially keys into exactly yeah it's pretty cool I think it will save us a lot of time instead of pulling them out on multiple lines or comma separating or destructing <laughs> so yeah so that's destructuring and then there's also things like default values so like let's say I'm gonna pass you in an 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 object but let's say it comes in as undefined then I can like up in my in my in my my method signature I can say like let's say the object name I call it in object because it's this object that's coming in. Well, I can say in object equals an empty object, or in object equals some method call that will return me a default object. Right. Or I can say in object equals new object just to get a new object. So you can do default parameter syntax up in your up in your method signature, and you could even like put those two things together to destructure an incoming object sure. and give it default values all up in the message. So essentially, default arguments rather than having to say, hey, it's equal to this. Or this value, you just do that all in the arguments. Exactly. And then they cool. also have something called rest parameters. So if you have like a variable number of parameters coming in and you're not sure how many it's going to be, um, like in other languages, they call these like var args. Or, yeah, variable or, args. Yeah. So you can just say like dot, dot, dot array, or dot, dot, dot my array, and you'll have this uh, this array called my array that's full of all the remaining objects. So it is an array instance, or is it a subset of an array instance? No, it is. It's not a pseudo array like the arguments guy, right? Because we hate that guy. Sure. <laughs> um, so. Or arguments array. Yeah. So the weird thing is that like in inside that rest parameters, th those two things are gonna th that's gonna be different than the arguments. And and another thing with like the default parameters, if you assign a default value. That's not going to show up in the arguments object itself. So if you're trying to use default parameters, and like that gets assigned, so let's say you 
pass in a number and you give it a default of zero in case they don't pass it in, it will that that zero won't show up in the arguments object. Hmm. So if you're still trying to use arguments, arguments will still be empty, even though you have a value for that that right. default value got assigned. Got so there are a lot of like subtle weirdnesses that you're gonna have to get used to when you start using these new syntactic sugar pieces. But yes, those are some of the things I think will clean up a lot of our code and allow us to to write a lot less boilerplate and, cool. and get into shorter functions. I wonder how many like millions of lines of JavaScript have been written just to do all that stuff. It's kind of cool to think that it'll yeah, yeah. happen for you. Yeah, a lot of the libraries people just like because they can do this dot options. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I think it will be cool. I think that kind of stuff will be nice. But yeah, so kind of going on to another feature that I think will be huge for people is the new let. Right? Are you guys familiar with let? That's the one that's scoped according to the block you're in, right? Yeah. Var, but is it is it block scoped? That's my understanding. Block scoped. Well, let's find out. Yeah. It's so it is block scoping. So currently we have function scoping, right? Right. Which everyone loves, or yes. closure scoping, whatever we want to call it. Yeah, I like it. I I don't I I, I I know what it is, so I don't mind it. But some people don't aren't even aware about the 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 variable hoisting that happens. Right. Like you say, hey dude, that variable you declared on the last line of your function, that it actually got hoisted to the top at runtime, and they're like, huh? Yeah. Or in each of your for loops, your var i equals zero, that var i got hoisted to the top of that function. It's not just like specific to Nasty. the for loop. Sure. It got it got hoisted all the way to the top. So a lot of people don't even understand what variable hoisting is. Yet this new let syntax is going to come in and make their life so much better. Yeah. Um, so do you see in the future people only using let var oh going yeah, away? Um, I mean, if Internet Explorer can go away, <laughs> then yes. But if you have to support something that's not ever going to upgrade to let, then no. People will still use var for a long time. Yeah. However, there are libraries, like something like Tracer Compile, where you can write it in the new yeah. I JavaScript. Think we'll, I think we'll save that for the end of the show. Okay, that's about cool. how, how to use this kind of stuff. Today. Hopefully, people will implement that right. because it is it is. It, I think it's for performance gains. I think it's a huge win. I think, and I think that's the big win. Like inside of an if statement, you know, you put your C hat on. Like you're like, okay, back to my yeah. Java days or my C days. If I do a new variable inside of this if closure, it's not going to hoist out. Right. And that's what that's what some people come into JavaScript thinking is happening, and it's it's not. It's it's getting hoisted to the top of that. It's getting allocated either way. Um, and so after the if statement, that variable is still around. If you if you give it a, a definition inside your if, it's still there with that definition. Like it's not releasing the reference to that. And using let, if you were to do an if statement inside of there, you do let a equal zero. As soon as that if closure is done, that if block. Then a is gone. Like it's it's not equal to zero. It's just it's gone. They released it back to the garbage collection, which is pretty cool. I think that's huge. Uh, and another kind of a tool that they gave with us, they gave us with that, is they gave us things like let expressions and let statements, and those act almost exactly like an if statement. Um, you can say let, and then you have parentheses. You can say x equals this, y equals that. Oh, cool. Z yeah. equals this. Kind of and, instead of using the comma operator yep. that we use today, and then you say, and then you give it a, a block like an if statement, an opening and a closing brace, and you could do some code in there 
And after that lead expression is done, those get cleaned up. Mm. And, then, and another option on that is they've got these, they got block scopes where you can just drop down some curly braces just wherever you are. And you just have a short-term block for, for just because you want to. Really. Are they going to allow you to reference blocks and pass them around? I don't know. I, don't, I mean, in Ruby, obviously, you could do that, but it seems like in JavaScript, I don't know how you would infer that it's not an object literal in the parse. I guess if there's not key values. So, so blocks in Ruby are more like anonymous functions in JavaScript than than the way we've been using the word block, right? Like, yeah, but I'm wondering if they're actually going to add block scoping if if you are going to be able to reference a block and pass it around like a almost like a pseudo include. Yeah, and close over variables in it if you can pass it around and it's got to yeah support closures. I'm not sure. Well, it would work more like an include than a closure. So in Ruby, you have long the width. You can find a variable outside of the block, throw a block in and reference the variable, and then you can take that block and do yeah, something. Yeah, it would have to close over that. Close over it? Closing over it? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly okay. how those will work. And Maybe they, we'll just keep using closures. I mean, closures are great for that. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's kind of one thing that people need to understand is you're not going to go through your code and, like, replace all var with let. Otherwise, you'll break the Internet, right? Right. Because even though you don't understand variable hoisting, your code works right now as it is because variable hoisting exists. And if you start just replacing everything, and all of a sudden a bunch of variables that were being hoisted aren't, and your code breaks, I mean, you just need to like so aggressively do it, but like you know, watch it. You can't just like blindly start replacing let with bar. Does let still get hoisted to the top of its scope? So, and that's a, that's a that's an awesome question. I was I was wondering, and, and I thought the answer was. Was yes, but uh, Dominic Denicola, Denicola, is it? How does he say it? I think Denicola? it's Denicola. Yeah. So Dominic, he corrected me on Twitter. I was like, because I had that same question. I was like, is is the let expression inside of an if is that going to get hoisted to the top of the if? So they have this thing called the temporal dead zone. Oh which, man, that what? sounds like some sci-fi magic. I know, dude. That's what I said. I was like. What it's the most awesome are you ever. talking about? It's the most awesome <laughs> ever. Yeah, it's just kind of a hack to, like, I think under the covers it's getting hoisted. But they've created this hack called the Temporal Dead Zone where uh, magically it won't be there. But as far as you're concerned as a developer, it doesn't get hoisted, or at least won't appear to have been hoisted to the top of its block. But I'm pretty sure it's going to be the top of this block, under the covers. But they have this thing called the temporal dead zone. Where so. if you try and access it before... If you try and access it before, you'll get an error. You'll get an error. Yeah. Whereas otherwise you'd get on the five. Yeah. So Interesting. I, they have it, Yeah, so go and read it. If you go out there and check out the Internet, it's about temporal dead zone in JavaScript. You'll see some guys... I was talking to Axel about it out at FluentConf, and uh, we were having a couple chuckles about it. But I'm, ha I'm happy it's there. Because now your code will run like it looks like it's going to run, which I think is an important thing to have the execution look like what it is in your in your editor. Whereas right now, the execution doesn't look anything like what you wrote. I really want to run out and register temporaldeadzone.com. Pretty sure it's dead. <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> dot org. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about. about uh, generators, because I know people are able to start using them in Node today. Yeah, so generators already exist, and actually, um, you could they, the generators have been in Firefox for a really long time. Oh, really? And I wasn't aware of that. Like, I didn't know that. All the, a lot of these things we've been talking about, like let, 
That's already in Firefox. And and these things have been out there for years. Firefox has helped the TC39 by implementing these things and then giving them feedback about how, this is how people are using these things. So, so yeah, what have you heard about generators? Or what um, are you excited about? You know, I've heard of people combining generators with promises to write more synchronous-looking JavaScript. JavaScript, even though it's async. Um, also, also just the, the performance aspect of it, right? Yeah. I think uh, just being able to pause that kind of an execution, I think people will use generators for exactly what you said. I, I don't know that most JavaScript users will use generators. I feel like a lot of library builders will definitely use generators. But I wonder if, if everyday users are going to use these things and understand what yield is and when not to yield and when they should stop yielding and, or if they should stop yielding. Not sure. I don't know. I wonder. Can we talk a little bit about the module system? That's a it's kind of a huge area, but it's yeah, probably my biggest question mark. I don't think they finalized the module system. Oh, I think it's well. stabilizing, but is it? Yeah, it's still up. I haven't. So I, that's one chapter I haven't got to in the, in this book is to the modules because it isn't stable. And I've already worked on a couple of chapters where they weren't stable and had to rewrite the whole thing. Hmm. So unfortunately, I don't know as much about the modules as I should. I do know that. They took a, a careful look at AMD and the kind of the common JS modules and looked at those two approaches and they ended up with a, a completely different one, a third one, which some people were excited about and some people weren't excited about. Some of the Googlers were like, "What is this?" And some of the Google, you know, some of the other people in the community were like, "Hey, this is great." We at first I didn't think I'd like this, but I really do like it. So I don't know, but you could already use those more than being punched in the face, though. What's that? So some people hate it more than being punched in the face because it's it's different from anything that's out there already. Yeah, which is frustrating. I don't know. I, I need to dive into those more. So okay. one of the features I think is really cool is template strings. Can you talk a little bit about those? Um, I don't even know if that spec is all we finalized. But we all, um, it, you know, inside of our code, we, we've always dealt with template strings, right? And some of us do, like, we don't have multiple line strings, and with, with these quasis, we get multiple line strings, which I think will be nice. And I think that when you're working with, you know, pluralizing or in localizing your, your strings, I think these, these quasi strings can totally help by allowing you to, to just, you know, and it uses a syntax we're all pretty familiar with, you know, the double curly braces to wrap around your variable names. It uses those when when it when it sprinkles your your stuff into those strings. So yeah. So I had the the chance to go to Gotham JS and Dominic actually spoke there about ES Next and he talked about template strings and how you can actually return something other than a string. Uh, one of the examples he used was in Node.js to create a you know to shell out and call a system command. You could simply use a template string and return back a child process. So. We can use template strings to implement these little DSLs throughout our app. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so I I think there's huge uses. One thing that when I was reading about it, I, I, at first I didn't understand. Um, you, it's kind of, it's almost like it's a function. You create this this mm -hmm. little quasi generator thing, and then you end up invoking it like a function with some yep. text afterwards. Yeah. And it spits you back, as Merrick said, either a string, which is how a lot of people will use it. But you could also make it return not a string, yeah. return another thing besides that. Like, and so I think it will be interesting how people will decide to use. Yeah, it'll be weird. 
you know, yeah. the quasi generator stuff. So it'll be exciting though. It'll be really cool. So you know, people, you know, people have done crazy things with all the different things that people have ever implemented in the language, and and you know, with with the ability to you know monkey patch JavaScript on the fly. I don't, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see what people do with yeah, with more features these generators, right? Yeah. So we'll see with the quasis. We'll see. So so, oh, go ahead, Joe. I was just gonna say one of the things I really wanted to hear from Aaron is Aaron's made some fairly controversial statements about IE, and I. I think that this would be great to, to put onto the show because I think there's a lot of information that he's spit out that I didn't really thought through before, you know, thinking, oh, Microsoft's been talking about IE is now never doing browsers, so. Yeah, so I can talk about that if you guys really want to put that on the show. <laughs> but it's, it's your opinion, not ours. Just, let's just keep our comments not to the Microsoft yeah. sucks, but up to what's, right. what the trend has been. So I just think, I just get scared ever, ever like intentionally supporting Microsoft. Just after watching what happened with Windows XP. Let's be, let's be specific here, IE, so, right? So yeah, with IE. So Windows XP got stuck on, on IE8. Right. So they're never going to get better than IE8, right? right? And that's an issue for a lot of us. Because when you're when you talk about Windows users, these are people who are tied to a specific version of a browser, and if they're IE users, I mean they're, they're limited in how advanced they're going to get. And so, you know, when you look at Microsoft struggling and thrashing to become an evergreen browser, I'm not sure they ever will become truly an evergreen because in an evergreen world, Windows XP never would have lost support for IE9 or IE10. Right. And I just worry that we, you know, with Windows 7 being so big and it's coming to a point where they're going to decide to stop supporting it eventually, possibly, I'm, I'm just worried that they're, that's going to become a non-evergreen operating system. We're going to be stuck with IE 10 being the best that Windows 7 can ever get. And then, so if we're developing for IE 10, now we're, we're in the same spot where we're with IE 8 right now, where everyone hates it. Right. And people are touting, you know, IE 10 or IE 11 or... Our standards compliant, but that's only today's standards. Look, you know, IE8 was kind of compliant when it came out. If IE11 is or IE10 is the last thing that Windows 7 ever gets, and we get four years down the road, we're all going to be cursing. So I get nervous building anything specific to the IEs just because they are are an unknown. They don't have a proven track record like every other browser out there does. Right. And so it just makes me nervous and and um, the amount of cost that goes into building an awesome app is great. And then once you hand that off to the QA and they go test it in IE, it like doubles your effort to make that awesome app work in IE8. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, it's, that I think is, is troublesome, but. So how much money has been spent? Yes, talking to Scott Schlegel, he made some good points though. If this is your market share, like let's say you're competing with Google and Google is abandoning IE8, right? Mm-hmm. And you you see a niche, like someone like Yahoo, they they you know they don't get nearly as many views. But if they start supporting IE8 and doing things for IE8 that Google's not going to do anymore, maybe Yahoo gets some. They they get a lot of money out of that. You, right. know, you never know. So right. it could be a place for a lot of people to get started and make some money. But larger companies, I don't know if that if they'll focus on it as much. But like, why would you focus? I don't know. Why would you focus building on uh, a website for the browser of yesterday when you could spend that same amount of money building the, the website of tomorrow, like with really cool features, and you don't have to worry about, you know, 
these weird, you know, oh, it's IE9 in some strange compatibility mode for IE7. Like, who, who put it in that mode? Who knows, right? But I don't know. Sure. I think that, I think it merits, I mean, if someone said that they wanted to do it and they had a good business reason, I think it would make sense, but if you have limited capital, I don't know. So, so let's bring it back to talking about ES6. Um, what can you do to use it today? You mentioned the tracer compiler, and then I think Firefox has lots of them, and Node has a flag to enable Harmony. Is there what other stuff can you do to use it today? So on Node, you can use whatever is implemented in ADD8 or anything that's monkey patchable, right? So if they can if they can put it in there, you can use it. Um, if, if it's shimmable, right, you can get it in. Uh -huh. But if, if not, if, you, if you're talking for the front end and you're roped to like an IE8 environment, Tracer Compiler is the best one I've seen. But, I mean, it's still fairly limited. But it allows you, it's a, it's a library that allows you to write, you know, ES6 code, and then you have a compile stage where it will transpile it into something that even... Um, IE8 could speak. So it's like, let's say you use the word let, like you say let a equals zero. Well, if you if you throw that IE8, you're dead. Right? right. It's gonna just die. So um, how do you compile let into something that IE could speak? How do you get the same functionality out of let? How do you get the same functionality out of var that you were expecting in let? Right. It's kind of tough, right? Yeah. Well, they figure out some really clever things. Like, there's only one place in the whole of IE8 JavaScript where you can get short-term scoping like what you're expecting with let. And that's if you do a try and you throw an error in that catch, that E, you know, your error that's in your catch signature, mm -hmm. that is a short-term block thing. That doesn't get hoisted. So they'll compile your let into a try, they'll throw an error, get into the catch, and then they use that error variable as like the let variable. So they've done some really clever things to try and mimic what let's going to do wow. for IE8. And just out of curiosity, like in other languages, the ones that I'm specific with or familiar with, throwing an error is an extremely expensive operation. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm I sure mean, it's slower. I'm sure it's not fast, right. but you're trying to make, you're, you're trying to do what you can, and there's no other way to mimic that. Right. So I thought it was pretty clever. I mean, is it is it is it more expensive than doing like a never-ending line of closure? No, like who 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 knows? I, I haven't in, really in C, in C sharp. It, it definitely is. It, it's it's really expensive. it's a big deal. Big deal. Big deal. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Huh. That's, That's really interesting. Very clever, though. It is clever, and and when you go through and look at what they're doing, like you look at you write the code and then you have, you have it transpile and look at it. It's pretty. It's some of it's kind of sick. Like these people are twisted in the head. <laughs> They've thought it up, but I'm, I mean, it's it's kind of nice to have someone do this. And and talking to them, they're like, yeah, we go to the TC39 meetings and then we head back and try and implement some of the changes. Sounds like so, it was all written by Merrick clones. It, it seriously, <laughs> I look at them and I'm like, these guys are like Merrick. But they're, <laughs> so they're great, and um, I love I love that they're building it. I I can't help them out though because it's just it's advanced stuff. Mm, so, it's insane. Yeah, it is insane. So I had one more kind of philosophical question about ES6 as well. It seems like there are two different approaches you could take with designing a new version of a language. And one is the pave the cow pass approach, where you look at things that people are doing and you make them easier. It seems like they've done that with the 
argument destructuring and the default arguments and things like that. Just, hey, people are writing lots of code to do this. Let's make it easier. Um, the other path is more prescriptive, where you say, this is the direction that I want the language to go, even though people aren't doing things like that already. Do you feel like ES6 is leaning more towards one side or the other? Are they trying to to change, like, enforce changes in how people write JavaScript, or are they trying to make it easier for people to do things they're already doing? Or is it a, kind of a mix of the two? So, like, with let, they're obviously trying to force people to do better things, right? But they also have, like, a big mantra, which is they're going to adopt de facto standards from the community. And that's where arrow functions came from, right? A lot of other languages have that syntax. And so mm -hmm. people understand what it is. CoffeeScript's got fat and skinny arrow functions. Destructuring, too. Right? And destructuring, right? And the var args. And anyway, they've, they've got a lot of things, and they've said, we'll adopt de facto standards in, 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 in place of pioneering new stuff where we can. And so I really think that when I look at ES6, I look at, wow, there's a lot of stuff other languages already have. And they, they just kind of picked what they liked the most and what they were able to standardize into JavaScript without breaking the internet, right? So, I mean, it was it's it's all really exciting for me, I think. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if I answered that question right. But. No, that makes sense. Just kind of a mix of both. Yeah. Well, should we wrap this up? Yeah. yeah I think so. Do you have any, any last thoughts on ES6? Um, in three words, what's your very favorite feature in ES6? <laughs> Destructuring default parameters. Cool. Sweet. Uh, modules? So I don't know. Oh, cool. Modules. Probably, I should say that modules yeah. is number one. Yeah, there's a ton of stuff for ES6. Like, we barely scratched the surface of it here. There's, like, class semantics. Can I say my least favorite? Yeah, yeah. of course. You just said it. Class semantics. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, There's a ton coming. Comes. You should plug your book, Aaron. I was going to ask, where can people go to learn more about this stuff? One okay. of them is your book, right? Yeah, so um, one, the short one we published in May, it was it's a free read on O'Reilly's site. It's called Jazz.next, a manager's guide. And it's just it's a book that you would hand to your manager if you're a developer and say, hey, look, these are this is some good explanation of the new language, a good explanation about the efficiencies of us moving towards it and abandoning older standards. And it gives you a lot of good arguments and, and you know, community examples of people moving towards it and, and how, and I talk about how I think that that's going to make them successful. The other one, um, it should be out in short release, uh, in a pre-release version, hopefully by like the end of September. But it's called ES6 uh, Developer's Guide, and it's a field guide for ECMAScript 6. talks about all the different features and gives you code examples and Cool. And explains it. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. It'll be fun. Um, one thing that I should say about ECMAScript 6, the, the spec doesn't officially, they don't finalize it until December of this year. Mm. And they're going to give it 12 months to be officially approved as like the official ECMAScript 6. So um, it's not going to be official until December of 2014. However, it'll be finalized in this year's December and they kind of go into a hardening phase where only bug fixes will go in after that. So, mm. so yeah. So it won't be official until in a year and a half from now, and um, there's a reason they have to do they have to do it in Junes or Decembers. So they couldn't get it into this June, but it just passed. So they got to wait till December. But yeah, so the book will be out way before it's done, though, and you can start learning it and using it right now if you wanted. So, cool. 
Awesome. Uh, let's dive into the picks then, since it sounds like you guys have to take off. Joe, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I'm going to make two picks. I went last night and saw Pacific Rim, and I really liked it. I didn't love it, but I really liked it. Um, I saw it in 3D IMAX, and I thought it was kind of worth the, you know, Guillermo del Toro is such a visual director. It was really cool in 3D IMAX. So I'm going to pick that, and I'm also going to pick, I think I've done this a couple times, but that conference, just because they have a bacon bar coming up in August. Actually, in just a couple weeks, be like a week away from when this gets published or something, two weeks away from when this gets published, but bacon bar, got to love it. Awesome. Merrick, do you want to go next? Sure. So first is uh, a band called Fox, P-H-O-X. They have a, a video series on Audio Tree, and I don't know, it's, it's, just, it's, it's really interesting music. They've got a lot of instruments going on at once, and they do it in a really interesting way. Uh, the second is I recently had the opportunity to go speak at Gotham JS, and uh, I got to meet uh, just some awesome people down there. Uh, a lot of them were listeners, and, and they they had a lot of kind words to say about the show. So really, I just want to I want to pick our listeners. Uh, I'm grateful we have people on the other end of this these bits. So that's it. You're the sweetest, Merrick. Uh, I'll go next. So I have a bunch because I've missed a few shows. <laughs> My first pick is a thing for remote teams called Squiggle. It, so you connect to the site, and it turns on your webcam, and it takes a picture of you periodically every few seconds. Um, and it does that for everyone. It gives you a little dashboard of your whole remote team. So you can kind of feel like you're there with them, but then the cool thing is when you actually want to talk to them, you just click on their portrait, and it turns into a, a video conferencing thing. So it just seems like a really cool way to try and recreate the feel of having a team in the same place. Because um, you, you see all your team on your screen even even though uh, you're not talking to them directly, but then when you want to, it makes it really easy. My other pick is NodeConf. Oh my goodness, NodeConf. NodeConf was the best conference I've ever been to by far. It was amazing. I had a similar experience to Merrick where uh, there were lots of people I met that listened to the show, and that was cool. Um, it felt really surreal. But it was just incredible. I met lots of great people. There's a blog post by Isaacs um, kind of summarizing his experiences with NodeConf, and I think he does a good job of describing why it was so fun. So that's that's my pick, NodeConf and Isaacs blog post about it. And the last one is a it's an album by a guy named John Hopkins. It's called Immunity, and it's kind of ambient electronic music. It's wonderful. It's Really great to listen to while just coding, and it's it's probably my favorite album of the year so far. So those are my picks. Aaron, do you want to go last? Yeah, I'll pick a movie. So there's a movie theme. I'm gonna pick Tombstone. Watch this. Oh, week. I love that movie. Just, it was Wyatt Earp and yeah. the old like the Western one. 80s. Sorry, yeah, the Val oh, Kilmer one. It was like it was yeah. 90s. Double coming. Yeah. Nails coming with me. Yeah. Um, it's so good. I'll pick Tombstone. I'm going to pick Justin Timberlake's latest album for my music. It's a good coding vibe on it. And then I'm going to pick Palmer JS. Nice. They did, a, they did a, a screencast this week about all the stuff they're doing with web components, mm. and it's pretty sick. I'm, I'm pretty excited for Palmer JS. Mm. So, yeah. That's sweet. My picks. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Aaron. Um, yeah. I'm sorry I had to make you share a room with Merrick and Joe. <laughs> hey, uh, I'll put a, one last thing out there. If you uh, happen to be going to that conference, uh, please come and find me and say hi. Awesome. All right, well, we will catch you guys next week. Thanks for coming.